0: Hi, and welcome back to the Wungle U.S. Soccer Podcast. Something you mentioned earlier in the pod was this idea of having other members from the Wungle team join the podcast. So today we are joined by our head of content, Ross Hall, to do a little fun Q&A episode. And I want to use this opportunity also to say to our listeners, feel free to email us at hello at wungle.us or find us on Twitter if you have any questions or that you want us to answer. So as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll
1: start here. George, Ross, how are you guys doing today? I'm great today, Matt. Back in Boston, back at the lovely Boston University. So I'm excited to start classes today, but, you know, keep doing this. Awesome, man. And Ross, how about you?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm busy, but happy to be joining you guys for the first time. I think uh, you guys have been killing it with these first episodes of the podcast.
0: Awesome, man. I'm happy to have you. So you have a couple questions ready for us. So why don't I pass it off to you and you can kind of moderate this discussion for us and we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, no problem. Uh, these questions come from our followers on Twitter for the most part. We'll get into some age-old USMT debate questions, but those are more for me. Uh, but we had a lot of preseason questions, so we're going to go ahead and start start with um, maybe the biggest news recently. What will Weston McKinney's integration into the Juventus starting eleven look like for Weston McKinney? It's
1: going to be very interesting. It's not as clear as let's say Barcelona, but Juventus are in a transition period right now. They're a team that wins Serie A with their eyes closed, so. The goal for them is to win the champions league and this year they crashed out early that's not what they want so there's a lot of people going out some people coming in like mckinney so i wouldn't be surprised to see if he gets integrated slowly but their schedule just came out they're playing sampdoria their first game of the 20th i would not be surprised to see weston mckinney play a decent amount of minutes in that game especially if he puts his foot well forward throughout these first couple days of practice yeah, and just to add
0: to that, I, I
1: definitely agree. I
0: think the opportunity is there for him. We mentioned in the last podcast, Sam Kadira is kind of the guy in his way, and he's an older midfielder. So I think, like you said about Juventus, how there's going to be the Champions League matches, and there's going to be domestic matches, and there's going to be a lot of different opportunities for squad rotation. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's going to walk into starting 11. He's going to integrate himself right away. But this idea of the opportunity being there for him in a bunch of different matches to get his feet wet and then, maybe work his way in the starting 11 is definitely a possibility. So I'm just encouraged that there's a lot of games there for him to work
2: with. I think a real possibility is similar to Christian Pulisic, a, uh, a slow integration, but by the end of the season, he could be impressing a lot of people. And speaking of Christian Pulisic, that's the second question we, we got was, what should we expect for the timeline of Pulisic's return? So from what I've heard,
0: uh, he should be ready uh, around September. And obviously we're in September now. And with the season coming up, it was supposed to be, around to four to six week injury. And then obviously there's the amount of time going back into training. So I think we should hear an update in the coming weeks saying that he started individual training. And then once we hear that, that'll kind of be our two week out period. And so we can kind of look to see, okay, we've heard this, and let's see how well he gets into it. Um, But I think the first step is we don't know right now. Chelsea's still doing their thing, buying hundreds of players. So that's kind of their main focus right now. And I think once Chelsea gets back into team training and gets back into kind of moving things along with their preseason, we'll kind of see more about Pulisic because we we just don't know enough
1: right now. I think it's exciting for Pulisic. You mentioned them signing all the players. And... They're not signing anyone to replace him. They're signing his support staff. They're signing a striker. They're signing a right winger. They're signing an attacking midfielder. They're signing center back. So they're not signing left wingers. Right now, Christian Posich is their starting left winger. So maybe as he gets back to full fitness, like Hudson-Odoi or someone else is there. But as soon as Christian postage is healthy, he's going to be starting. And he's not going to be having an aging William playing with him. He's going to be having guys in their prime in his same age range. So I'm not a Chelsea fan, but I am actually excited and scared to see what they do because the guys they have alongside Pulisic, it's unreal right now.
0: Yeah. And just to add to that one other thing I saw, I think it was Hakeem Zajic who was wearing the number 22 jersey in a friendly. So I'm not saying Pulisic has the 10 right now, but just keep that lookout. You know, there's a chance that could happen. And that'd just be another cool thing for U.S. soccer fans.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's gunning for that 10 jersey this season. Would you guys go as far to say as Christian Pulisic is injury prone Or do you think he's a 21-year-old who is learning to exert his body in the ways that he is at the top level?
0: I mean, for me, I'm not willing to say he's injury-prone yet. I know the Premier League is a very physical league. And I think his playing style, being such a, a quick cutter and such an agile player, it really lends him to be a player who gets a lot of contact. And I think part of the challenge for him now is, okay. now you've seen the Premier League and what that kind of physicality is like. Now, how do we move forward? Because you could label him injury-prone right now, but that was his first season, you know? So you have to give him the chance to say, okay, I saw this, and now how do I adjust my body to make sure I can play for longer, play more
1: sustainable, and
0: allow myself to still be as agile.
1: So that's the next step for him, I think. I think, personally, he is injury-prone, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, for example, you look at Aubameyang, who's 31 years old and has played 36 games the past two seasons, and even when he was at Dortmund, it's had some injuries here and there. So saying someone's injury-prone doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad player. Neymar is injury-prone, too, and he still scores 20-plus goals every season. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, But he has shown that he gets these injuries. But for me, he's such a good player that any coach, as we've seen, is willing to overlook
2: that. Right. And he's 21 years old. He's got a lot of career ahead of him. So we'll see how the injuries shape out there as he continues to get stronger. Third question, Chris Richards-related. A lot of people want to know, should he stay at Bayern Munich and push to be part of their depth and get minutes at Bayern Munich? Or should he ask for a loan for some more guaranteed playing time?
1: I think he has to get out of there. So simple as that. And... Yes, Jerome Boateng is injured, but Bayern Munich recently signed Tangy Kawasi from PSG. Pretty high-profile player, I believe, just turned 18. And that's somebody who they'll probably try and integrate into the first team ahead of Chris Churchard since he was a high-profile signing at such a young age. So I don't see Chris Churchard getting game time at Bayern Munich. I think at 20 years old, if he wants to push himself, playing for the second team isn't the right move for him. You have these guys in his same age range who are playing first-team games, even if it's at the MLS level. And I think Chris Richards deserves that at least at the minimum, if not better. So I think Chris Richards has to be playing at a top division somewhere this season. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely agree. I actually wrote about this yesterday in one of my articles, and I was trying to figure out what the best move is for him. And I think the bottom line for him, like you mentioned, he's above the three-league level. You know, the bottom line right now, he's 20 years old and Bayern is the best team in the world. They just won the Champions League. And the step up from the second team to the first team is very serious. And I'm not saying Chris Richards won't eventually get there, but right now at his age, he needs to get playing time. And if there's a plan with Bayern to say, hey, you know, you're going to play in these cup games, we're going to get rotation minutes for you in the Bundesliga, then by all means he should stay. But we haven't heard that yet. And like you said, there, there has been some injuries, but they've also brought in some younger players to kind of rival Richards. So I'm not exactly sure what the best scenario is, but the bottom line, he has to get playing time. And if that's at Bayern and they're saying, we're going to give you the time, then he should stay. But if there's no option to really get playing time or it's just sparse minutes and training with the first team until January and hoping for a chance, that's not worth it in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree with what you said there because, I mean, I think he should just listen to Bayern Munich, whatever they have in plan for his development, if they think he should go out and get... Uh, go on loan to get more minutes first team minutes that's great if they think if Bayern Munich and Hansi Flick says hey you might get some games for Bayern Munich that's just as good uh, we'll see we'll see it's a good season for, for, for Chris Richards ahead of him fourth question brings us to Josh Sargent and a lot of people are asking us if he begins the season as a starting striker for Bremen and he is scoring goals in the Bundesliga is he the USMNT's starting striker as well
0: I mean, for me, I think without question. Obviously, Josh Sardin's been a tremendous talent since his U-17 days and even before that, for that matter. So, I mean, the thing for Josh is we need to get the goals going in. And we have Josie, who's kind of the incumbent striker right now. He's a physical player, offers a lot of different things than Josh. But in terms of the future, Josh is the future at that position. So I really think it's imperative for him to get started on the right foot and to get these goals in. Every indication so far is that he's going to have that opportunity. And as long as the opportunity is there... I fully believe he'll capitalize on that, and hopefully that means he can be the striker of the future for the U.S. But I don't want to put the expectations on him right now. You know, there was kind of that issue, uh, I think it was last summer, with the Gold Cup, and then he didn't make the U-20 World Cup. And it's kind of been a weird last 8 to 12 months for Josh Sargent. So I think the first thing for him is just scoring. And if he can do that, then the international opportunities will come for him. I think personally,
1: for me, Josh Sargent is just being... He's being touted to be the next great striker for U.S. We are begging Josh Sargent to be our striker. Right now, our three top strikers are Josie Alcidore, who we all know about, Jossie Zardes, who just turned 29 yesterday, and then Josh Sargent, who's 20 years old. So there's a big age gap. And because of all the missing years of U.S. soccer, we don't really have any proper strikers between the ages of 20 and 29. So we are just begging Josh Sargent to break out. He hasn't really been banging goals for the past year and a half, honestly, but we're still cl- like clamoring for him. There's so many players who we'd have just thrown to the side and said, he's not ready, but there's still fans who want Josh Sargent to start a meaningful game tomorrow. And I think that just goes to show what he's shown us in the past. So the fact that now he's getting that voice, of honor from his coach saying that Josh Sargent is a day one starter right now. That bodes well for him. That bodes well for us. And I'm just excited to see him scoring in the Bundesliga now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when he arrived and he was started out there, he was scoring goals in the youth leagues. And that's what you want to see is that continued scoring goals. It's when he stepped up to the Bundesliga that um, you naturally saw a little bit of the dip in that. But who knows with his progression, uh, maybe this season he'll be able to, you know, provide a lot more to Werder in their chance creation and hopefully put away those goals.
0: Yeah, just, just to add one thing to that, I mentioned it in my article that Verder Bremen has actually added another central attacking midfielder this year. Um, so I think that's definitely thing that bodes well for Josh is last year we saw how he was dropping super deep and trying to make everything happen for his team that just couldn't find goals. And so now I think that you see kind of a reinvestment from Verder Bremen in the midfield that'll say we're willing to link up with our strikers and not make them do all the work. I think that bodes very well for Josh long term.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, question five here is, is just a simple yes or no, but it's something everyone has been dying for for quite a while. And that is, will we ever get a camp with Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, Reyna, and Sargent, all healthy?
1: I think hopefully November. I'm hoping in November as well. If not November, just even if it means resting them, even if it means not having them play in meaningless games, When that first World Cup qualifier hits, I want all of them on the field at the same time. So if that means some of them have to be rested in November, some of them have to be rested for friendlies, I just want them playing the meaningful games together because I know all of them do get those nicks, those niggles, and I'm fine with that, but I want those guys playing in the big games together.
0: And I also think they're pretty young guys, so it's not like we have to rush and worry about them getting together right now. They're all under 23 years old, so I understand the immediacy. And I'm salivating also seeing these players that we have, but we have to remember that these guys are so young. So yes, it might be tough right now, but to say that by the time they're 30, we're not going to have one camp with all of them seems irresponsible to me.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention. This is such an open-ended question that, I mean, by 2026, are we going to see these guys in a camp together? Yes. Are we going to see them play together? I would say yes. Speaking of Giorena. Is he the number 10 that we that the United States national team has been looking for?
0: So that's a great question. Uh, it's a very complicated question because Reyna, right you know, he's a very interesting player. I think his specialty is he's kind of very good at moving the ball along. You see he's very good at just moving the passes along. He just comes right next to the winger and just checks in with them and the ball will move along. So I think that's a very valuable skill set. And I just don't know how that translates to the number 10 position. I think he's played there with Dortmund. He's shown he can do it. We have also seen at the U-17 World Cup when he was kind of the do-it-all 10, and he was not necessarily ball-hogging, but, you know, he was very set in his agenda, so I'm not sure how that fits with an entire team. And you look at our winger position, it's very deep, and our number 10 position is not deep at all. You know, right now I'm comfortable saying he's better than a Sebastian Legette as a number 10, of course, <laughs> but... Is that the way we optimize him at an national level i'm not exactly sure and that's the job for greg berhalter to figure out how do we get the most out of him and i think for our team the most valuable position is as a 10 but is that the best position for reyna that's the real question
1: yeah Gio reyna's best position is not the number 10 by any means he is not a traditional number 10. the reason why you can play him there is because he's not your traditional winger where He's pacey, gets him behind, gets crosses. If you put him on the left, he's not necessarily, a, you know, scissor step, cut inside, rip a shot, even though we did see him do that in the cup with Dortmund. So, yes, if you want to get him on the field, it might be at the number 10 position, but he's not necessarily the 10 we're looking for. Five years ago when we were watching the U.S., we didn't say it wasn't a Reyna type player, but Reyna is just such a quality player that you wouldn't mind putting him at the 10 to get him into the team. But in terms of traditional number 10, I don't think it's him. But at the same time, like you said, he's probably better as a player overall than the current group of players. So if he has to play there, so be it. But we're just dying for another one of those true number 10s to break out. So... Richie Ledesma, PSV, please put him on the field so he can join the full national team, we need him.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it also comes down to Greg burhalter's tactics and formation when the time comes. We've seen him make minor changes to you know positionings in the past, and so it's all about what he decides to go with <laughs> in this uh, next camp when he gets these these new crop of players and in, integrated into a system. So I think that's what we'll have to be looking forward to. When it comes to our starting lineup again, John Brooks is you know pretty clearly regarded as the starting left center back. But if we are in a competitive game, who is that starting center back tandem for you guys?
0: You're asking like right now if there's a game tomorrow?
2: I'd say, yeah, if the camp's coming up. Who's your starting starting center backs?
0: I think if you're just going tomorrow, I think I have to still go Aaron Long. Obviously, he hasn't been great in the MLS, but you look at the kind of the other guys who are in contention, we haven't seen enough from them to say they're comfortable playing with John Brooks. And I think maybe there's players who are better as solo center backs than Aaron Long. But for me, what's more important than having like two strong center backs is having a strong center back tandem. And so I think those two work very well together. And I think right now I'm comfortable saying those are the guys and I would love to have someone like a Chris Richards, a Mark McKenzie, a Cameron Carter Vickers, even Eric Palmer Brown step up and take Aaron Long's spot. But right now we have to think about, okay, what gives us the best
1: chance to win? And Aaron Long still to me, oh, it's the best chance. I agree with you. Those U23 center backs, we say it on this podcast all the time. We are begging for people to break out. Mark McKenzie, Carter Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, Chris Richards, Miles Robinson. We're just hoping even one of them reaches the potential we think they have. So I think when it comes to parting Brooks, it's probably Aaron Long, Matt Myazga, or Walker Zimmerman. I think in MLS this season, Nashville's been pretty hit or miss. But when he's been on the field, Walker Zimmerman has been an absolute leader for them, scored their first goal in club history. So I think I do put him above Aaron Long right now just based on form. But honestly, I might go Mayaska over both of them. I think he's been very underrated. He was playing in the championship for a mid-table team, so he wasn't necessarily getting attention. But these past couple of seasons, no matter what league has been in, whether it's the Eredivisie, even a little bit at nonce, he was playing here or there before he left. And then now in the championship, he's been a starter. He has experience. It's unfortunate that even with all of Chelsea's center back problems, they didn't give him a chance, but whatever. But I do think I like Matt Mayaska the best out of, those three options.
0: I like Matt Miazga a lot as well. I think the thing that I worry about, as I mentioned on, I think the last podcast is like stepping up to the next level for him. And we've seen, he can do it. Like you mentioned at all those levels, but I want to see him doing the premier league. You know, I really want to see him say, okay, I can pass it very well in the premier league. You know, I'm not the speediest guy, but I'm strong enough to handle the premier league. And if you can do all of those things, and by all means, take that second center back spot. But again, the Aaron Long thing to me is just a comfort level. I'm not saying he's better than Matt Miazga, but I'm just more comfortable with him right now than I am with Matt Miazga.
2: Okay. So what I hear you guys saying is that you, we have some options, that but it doesn't sound like we're 100% sold. So if a game's tomorrow, then yeah, maybe, maybe it's Miazga or uh, Aaron Long. Next competitive games, we have Nations League in March and World Cup qualifying in June. So do you think we're going to have a new center back there by that time?
0: I would like to think so, but again, it's very tough to say. It really kind of hinges upon who's getting game time. You know, if Chris Richards gets alone and he's playing in the Bundesliga, it's hard to argue he's not ready for that position. If Tim Ream is doing very well for Fulham in the Premier League, it's hard to argue he's not involved in that position. So, again, it goes back to who's playing, who's playing well. Maybe Mark McKenzie gets a move when he goes to Anderleuk and he's doing very well, and he plays himself in the contention. So... Yes, I think we'll have someone maybe, but I just, it, there's so much that has to happen between now and then. And I think so much will happen between now and then. So we'll
1: have another pairing, but it's really impossible for me to forecast that, I think, at this point. I honestly feel even if one of those players we mentioned goes to a club and maybe breaks out, you still stick with a guy who's experienced, even if they're playing in MLS. And the best like, example I can give is I remember in. 2018 World Cup qualifying Matisse DeLitt was up and coming for Ajax and started a bunch of games he was 17 years old at the time so he was the up and coming center back he was the most informed so they threw him into a World Cup qualifier and they lost and didn't make the World Cup so it's one of those things that yes they might be playing well at that time but you can't risk it you still need experience so even if one of those guys goes and is starting a good amount of games, it's probably still like an Aaron Long or a Walker Zerman, who you know exactly what you're going to get at that type of game. Yeah, and just, just to add to that,
0: I think, I think you're definitely right. If, if we see one of those players I mentioned kind of step up earlier in the process and maybe get involved in November and then work their way into the team, I think there's a possibility they could get involved. But I think it's tough, like you mentioned, how we need to make sure we're getting in and you got to play the guys who you're conf- confident and comfortable with, not necessarily the guys who have the most upside.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I think if if it comes to World Cup qualifying for most of those games, I think I am comfortable with an Aaron Long starting there. Um, when it comes to the Mexicos and stuff, you'd like to see maybe a more proven option. Um, but the, the goal here is to start integrating You know, all these names that we're mentioning and all these young guys. Uh, if they can start getting integrated... In that in that uh, qualifying or nations league, um, then I think we're on the way to uh, you know having a real solid center back tandem. Okay, so the the number eight question, a lot of people want to know which of these next young and exciting prospects will be the next to get first team in minutes.
0: I mean, I think who? I I guess. Uli Lanez is someone I think could definitely get minutes. I, I don't know if I really rate him in terms of the other prospects. I think he's a pretty solid player. But the fact that he hasn't gotten minutes this far with Wolfsburg gives me some pause. I don't know about Alex Mendez at Ajax. I think he's kind of far behind in the depth chart. And that's a tough situation when all things considered. Um, I think Ledesma maybe at PSV seems like a really good opportunity. I'm not sure what they're looking at in terms of their team. If they make a sale or I guess next summer, maybe they would sell Mohamed Inatarian, who would kind of open up spots for Ledesma. Uh, But I think he's someone that we could definitely see integrated the first team. He got some options uh, to play in their friendlies and he did play with Jong PSV over the weekend. So I'm not sure he's exactly ready, but he's someone I look at. And I, of course there's Chris Richards, who I think is definitely The hot name but again we don't know the byron's plan with him so i don't really know what that looks
1: like but i guess those are the guys i'm kind of looking at right now well you kind of named everyone i don't even know who else is left for me but i personally for all those names you named i don't know if it's gonna happen at least for this first half of the season so personally i think the next person that breaks out is through a transfer so maybe that is a little bit of cheating but I think Mark McKenzie breaks out in Europe before any of those names, even if he moves in January. So I do think the next breakout player isn't going to be like a Gio Reyna who comes through a place where he's in the academy. I think it's going to be one of those guys who is going to go straight somewhere and is going to contribute because I think now, even though Alphonso Davies is Canadian and you look at Tyler Adams, these teams are seeing that these guys who come from MLS already. So I do think the next export is going to go in and compete right away. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I'll add one more name, just a fun one. Owen
0: Atasawi, who's at uh, Wolves. He's a pretty good name to throw out. He may actually made his Europa League debut last year and was on the bench a couple of times for them in the Premier League. And I think he's probably going to get a loan to a club in the championship. And I don't know if that necessarily means he's going right into the U.S. national team, maybe more of an Olympics guy. But I think he can be some player we see who does very well in the championship in this prospect or this season.
2: Yeah, Owen's a good shout, especially if he gets a loan to, you know, make, get those first team minutes that we're talking about. I think the answer to the question, in my opinion, is Uli Lenez and Richie Ledesma. You know, are they going to break out? I don't know, but are they going to have their first team debuts sometime soon? I would expect the answer is yes. Now the last question is a little less of a uh, club preseason, but we've had a long break from international play. And the the hot topic on everyone's mind back when we were playing is, will Greg Berhalter actually be able to implement this possession style of play that he's that he's aiming for with the current crop of players that he has in time for World Cup qualifying in June, 2021?
0: I think I give I give full confidence that he'll be able to do that. I think one thing that bodes well for him is this thing of having an October camp and a November camp. And you might think, well, that's two separate groups. How is that going to help us? But I think it actually does very well because it's two full groups that get the same message potentially. And so I think that's a really good opportunity for us to start saying, okay, here's what we want to say. Here's the message we want to mold. Here are some of the players who obviously all the players in the domestic camp, all the players in Europe are not going to be foundational members of this team. But if you get 20 guys in the US and 20 guys in Europe on the same page. That's 40 guys who understand the message. And that's a really good start and a really good opportunity to build something there. And I think hopefully we can use that as kind of the springboard and see, okay, now how does that work when it comes time for World Cup qualifiers? And maybe we squeeze in another friendly somewhere to make sure that system is implemented. But I think I have full confidence in Greg Berhalter right now. That could change, but right now I have full
1: confidence in him. I do think it's hard. Yes it's good to get everyone on the same page. Like you say, if we get 40 guys on the same page, but it's going to be so hard because we are at such a crossroads as a national team. All we talk about are these guys under the age of 23 who are begging to break out. So that means if they go to those camps, they need to be on the same page, but that's why it's so important that Jason Christ is part of the group. So when he's with the U 23s, They're on the same page. Anthony Hudson, the U-20s, they're on the same page. We don't even have a U-17 head coach right now, so they need to get on the same page too. And if you look at the most successful national teams, their system is implemented from the ground up. Every single age group plays exactly the same. If the results come, they come. If they don't come, it doesn't necessarily matter because what they want is that if they want to call up a guy straight from the U-18s to the full team, He knows exactly what's going on. It's not his head's not going to be spinning. So I think as a U.S., that is what the most important thing for me at this time is, because we can't be talking about all these guys you want to break in. And then a year from now, when they get their first call up, they have to learn an entirely new system because they weren't in the October or November camp. So I think the most important thing that has to be implemented is whatever style of play it is, it's through every single age group, and we're no longer the team that gets a new head coach for the U17s a month before the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point about uh, sort of streamlining the process, and I think a lot of the new guys in charge at U.S. Soccer are getting a lot of flack for at times how the teams look on the field, but I think one of their big goals is to streamline uh, these things to make that to make that easier. And obviously, we will have to see what the results end up being, but I mean, I do appreciate that. To, at least to me, it looks like a, an effort to do to do just that, and. If we're ready, we can move on to these age-old USMNT debate questions. Now, some of them are a little more recent. But three questions. I guess I'll just start it off. So can or should a MLS player be called up or even start if he has a counterpart playing in Europe? For me, I
0: think the answer is definitely yes. You look at Jordan Morris, and everyone's quick to say, well, he didn't leave. So... How can you, how do we know how good he is? But you watch him in the MLS and he's just tearing it up. And obviously for me personally, I would love to have all of our guys go to Europe, but you have to respect when a player is playing well, you know, you look at Brazilian national teams and they they call it players who are playing well in the local Brazil league, you know, and I'm not saying that unless at the same level of talent, but you have to understand that a successful national team A big part of that is a successful domestic league. And ideally everyone gets to Europe, but if this is where it all starts, that's fine. You can give them respect and you call them up and maybe going to the national team is part of that exposure for them to get into Europe. And whether or not they decide they want to go, that's up to them. But I think you also have to respect MLS as a league in their own right.
1: I completely agree with you. And I do think right now the one MLS guy who personally should be in the starting lineup is Jordan Morris. I think he is clearly one of the better wingers in our system. For me, he was the best U.S. soccer player throughout the past year. He's been consistent with the national team. He's been consistent in MLS. And the only knock people have on him is that he never went to Europe when an offer was on the table. But like you said, if he's the best player in his position, he deserves to be on the field. So I do think the answer to the question you asked is Jordan Morris.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm with you guys. I think, you know, you can't, as fans, expect the players to do what you want them to do. If, if someone decides to stay in MLS, the most you can ask is that they consistently outperform the competition. And that's exactly what Jordan Morris has been doing, especially since he came back from uh, his injuries. The next question. Is Bruce Arena the best USMNT coach ever for bringing us to the quarterfinals of a World Cup? Or is he the worst USMNT coach ever for failing to qualify in 2017?
0: I'm going to say he's, he's, he's probably the worst. He, he might not be like last last, but he's definitely up there. I actually had the chance to speak with Bruce a couple of times and he's a nice guy. If I notice respect to him, but that was a really crushing blow, and one of the things I talked to him about was this idea of what happened in, in Trinidad and Tobago, you know, and he was not able to give me all this information about it. But you look at that lineup and you say, we had Jeff Cameron on the bench and Omar Gonzalez, our starting center back. And, and that to me is, is a pretty big indictment of everything Bruce Serena. You know, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's a smart coach. He's had success at the MLS level. And even like you said, at the national team level, but to me, it's like, okay, we've done that in the past and, Now it's time for the present. You know, this old MLS way of, oh, our domestic players are this. Oh, these players don't really feel like they're part of the national team. They're not true Americans. Save all of that. I I don't care. I want to win. And I want a process that leads us to wins. And to me, when I think of Bruce Arena, I think of a stopgap guy that knows how to win the LA Galaxy way, knows how to win the MLS way, but... We want to become a soccer nation to some degree, and Bruce Arena is not that guy I see like that. So I just –
1: no disrespect to Bruce, but you're, you're pretty low on my list. I think with Bruce Arena, you have to give him respect. Maybe he is the best national team coach of all time because if you look at post-1990, there was Bora Milutinovic. I think that was how you say his name. Steve Sampson, who – was horrible the 1998 world cup where there was just all this off-field drama then you have bruce bob bradley Jurgen. but so the thing with bruce arena is if you look at the his highs 2002 world cup was an absolute high 2006 didn't go well but going to the tournament us was ranked i believe either third or fourth in the world rankings which is just ridiculous so the reason why he was invited back was because of that He wasn't the national team coach throughout the majority of qualifying, and then they threw him into the fire because they said pretty much, you're our GOAT. Like, you have to try and save us. And yes, he wasn't able to save us, but that shouldn't diminish the fact that He's not probably our best U.S. national team manager of all time. Obviously, you all want to get upset. Everyone has their opinions of whether not qualifying in 2018 was Bruce's fault or Jurgen's fault. But for me, it shouldn't take away from his legacy. There's been plenty of managers who haven't done well, who've gotten rele- like relegated. You look at Arsene Wenger in his later years. Just because Arsene Wenger wasn't doing well in his last couple of years doesn't take away from everything that he did in the past. So... Bruce is our winningest manager of all time. He's won the most titles for U.S. soccer. So I don't think the 2018 World Cup not qualifying for that should to, to diminish his legacy. All
0: right. Well, I'll push back a little bit. I guess I should retract kind of my statement. I don't necessarily blame him entirely or Jurgen entirely. I think that was a U.S. soccer system as a whole. That was a failure. And I'm looking back at kind of what caused that. And I, I think Bruce, kind of his mindset is kind of what bothers me, not necessarily him on the field. You know, I think maybe on the field, he's one of the better coaches we've had in terms of results. But this mindset of like how we grow the domestic game and that kind of stuff is where I have issues with Bruce Arena. So maybe he's a better coach than I give him credit for, but a worse tactician and a worse
1: developer than people realize. Is that a possible dichotomy we could agree upon? Yeah, I think he's he's not, as you would say, he's not sexy. He's like as American as it gets, like he was a college soccer coach. Like, he is not a killer porter who's the new age college soccer coach. He is the old school 1980s when soccer was barely a popular sport in the U.S. type of coach who successfully made his way to the national team ranks. And that is why he was given the call in 2018 because we're trying to be fancy with Jurgen and it wasn't working. So, U.S. Soccer goes, Okay, we need you to play some bully ball and cock a cafe and get us to the World Cup and it didn't work out. So yes, he has those old-school tactics. You still see it now at the Newman Revolution. They're a very rigid team. So that, that's his style. That's who he is. And yes, he's going to get phased out in the next couple of years. So that's just his style, and that's what we have to take it as.
2: Yeah, good points made. All I will say is he is my favorite accent in USMNT <laughs> coach history. All right, final one. I think, think a lot of people know what it's going to be. And who is the USMNT GOAT? Is it Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey?
0: I mean, I think it's definitely Landon Donovan. It's hard to really argue with that. I think Dempsey's a great player. No disrespect to Clint. Clint, if you're listening, come on the pod. We'll debate it. Um, But... To me, Landon Donovan, it's it's more than just like the greatest player on the field. I know for me growing up, there is this kind of idea of what is U.S. soccer to me. And Landon Donovan was always that image for me. So I think that has to count for something. And maybe you think about Dempsey, he had more success uh, going to Europe. So maybe he's a better player per se. But in terms of overall impact, it's hard to argue that Landon Donovan is not the overall goat of U.S. soccer.
1: Yeah, I think with Clint Dempsey, he represents the kind of flair side of U.S. soccer. Everyone thinks Americans are so structured, we're boring. And Clint Dempsey was like, nah, like I'm not that. And off the field, he's rapping. On the field, he's doing flicks. He's going to Europe. He's doing well. So I think in terms of like an icon, if you're making a Mount Rushmore, Clint Dempsey's on it. But the thing with Landon Donovan was he was just someone who was very consistent beginning, middle, and end. He was our most hyped prospect in a very long time. He came out when he was a teenager doing great things. Even when he went to Europe and it didn't work out, he came back to the MLS and literally made it his league. He said, I am the MLS. So I think he just, hes he was, he was the culture. Early 2000s, mid-2000s, he was the culture. And the same way he went to Europe and it didn't work out, when he had his famous sabbatical, he left soccer, comes back, continues to kill it again, probably should have made the 2014 World Cup. So I think Just in terms of culture and just being that icon for any team. The same way when you say Portugal, you think Ronaldo. If you ask a random person when they think U.S. soccer, they say Landon Donovan. And he didn't even necessarily make his mark in Europe. So I think that just goes to show you how big he was for the U.S. Yeah, definitely. Don't forget about that Christian Pulisic guy. I heard he's pretty good. So maybe he
0: gets in the conversation eventually.
2: Yeah, when when it's all said and done and Christian Pulisic retires and he's had his full national team career, I think this debate will be settled.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I think so. I think he's well on his way. We've, We've never had someone like him in Europe where people are actually respecting an American across the board, not just here and there. Every single person is respecting him. And I think it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'll also say, I think, plus, it's probably you can make the argument right now that he's the most talented American player ever in terms of like what the results have gotten him this far in his career but you look at donovan you look at dempsey they, they were able to do it for their entire career in terms of their success on the international level and the club level so i think that's the next step for we we have seen it so far but again he's still a young guy so we have to give him the time to catch up and right now he's on a great start
2: yeah, absolutely. And when it comes back to Donovan or Dempsey for me, um, it's honestly, there's so little to split them, in my opinion. And I think there's sort of that beautiful poetic justice of they both ended with the same amount of goals for the national team. Both, I believe the number's 57. So, I mean, to, to me, they're both in that tier and we've got this Christian Pulisic guy on the way.
0: Yeah, on the God for him. Awesome. Well, Ross, I want to thank you so much for joining us. George, thanks again for another great podcast. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe, email us, tweet at us, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week. Thanks again, guys.